And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most welcome to Anything is Potable, the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packer, professional sports fan, and I am joined as always by the kid, the god, the legend himself. Celtics beat reporter from Beat Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And Jay, being the legitimate journalist that he is, recently scored himself a one-on-one interview with Celtics president of basketball operations, the Kaizen King himself, Brad Stevens. Uh, And so Jay and I are going to talk about that in the latter half of the episode. That's what you call in the biz a tease. Uh, But first, we got to get to... The weekend that was Celtics basketball, just an absolutely atrocious performance in Philadelphia, where I think they gave up a, what was it, like a 30-4 to four run in the first half, and then we're just completely out of the game. 28-2, to 28-2. Just, uh, I, would, I, I would like to be more eloquent, but I like, don't have any other way to put it other than it was just a, it was a dog shit performance. Just a dog shit performance in <laughs> Philadelphia from the 76ers. And luckily for the Celtics, they managed to come back to the TD Garden, play a Bulls team that didn't have, I would say, five of its top seven players. And they they were wanting to kind of choke it away. They were like everything uh, indicated that they were going to choke it away. But then they somehow managed to go on a 10-2 run in the final minute and 30 seconds and, and pull a victory there. So... I guess it's more of the same. They remain 500. Jay, what did, what was your biggest takeaways from these last two games? Yeah, I didn't think they played well in either of the games. The first quarter of the Philadelphia game was just an abomination. To give up a 28-2 run is almost impossible. I feel like you and I could be out there and a team, our team wouldn't give up a 28-2 run. Maybe I don't know. We we probably maybe. would. I don't know where we're getting the two from. <laughs> I, I would at least hit a three ball. Uh, but and that, but to still one against Chicago after semi collapsing in the fourth quarter, it looked like Demar Derozan was just going to take one away from them. He was making every right play at the beginning of the fourth quarter. He was getting buckets for himself. He was finding teammates for three. He was just making the right decisions. And it was a scenario where the Celtics have kind of folded a lot of times this season. Or if you don't want to use the term folded, uh, you could say failed. (laughs) Did not perform well. (laughs) Yeah, whatever term you want to use, they have done that in that exact situation too many times. So... To come back from, I believe it was seven points with four minutes left. It was six points with a couple minutes left. 
and they, they made a lot of good plays down the stretch. I thought Jason Tatum did a great job on DeMar DeRozan defensively. Um, I thought the Celtics offensively started to get what they wanted. And so even though they didn't play a full 48 minutes in that game, to close it out and to avoid disaster when they have invited disaster so many times, it could be promising. Um but who knows? It was the rest of that game was not particularly um, crisp basketball, is how <laughs> I'd put it. But it's, but I think you ha- you have to give them credit for getting the victory. Like they did this against the Bulls and they did this against the Magic, two games that like the win probability was very low for them and they managed to pull it out. I do think Tatum did a very good job on DeRozan at the end, but I also think that you could clearly see the Bulls really didn't have anyone else they could give the ball to. Like the the Bulls had no one out there. No Lonzo, no Caruso, no Levine, no Javante even. Uh, and it felt like the Celtics could kind of take advantage of that, especially defensively, where they were really loading up to DeRozan uh, late. And they did a good job of, of kind of uh, slowing him down enough to get, get stops to get back in the game. I also think they lucked out on – the the final foul call on Vucevic that sent uh, Robert Williams to the line. Like normally, you just don't see that kind of call late in game. I don't know. I was uh, he grabbed not- the jersey though. If he hadn't grabbed the jersey, I think he would have got away with it. Like just a little shove, he would have been fine. Yeah, but it, it also made it so the Celtics didn't have to come up with like a clutch offensive bucket. Like oh, they it made it Jalen hell of a ISO fadeaway. <laughs> I mean, do you think it would have been a Jalen fadeaway or a Jason fadeaway? Uh, That's a or a Dennis Dennis fadeaway. Don't don't rule out the Dennis fadeaway in that situation. The thing that was actually impressive about that is like the the first two free throws that Robert hit, they had they ran a pick and roll. They hit Robert Williams going to the basket. And he got fouled. Then like legitimate, it wasn't just a straight isolation possession, and uh, that was improvement, but. They got the win. I'm going to give them credit for getting the win. It was clearly a depleted Bulls team. I definitely thought the Vucevic three at the end was uh, going in just because uh, that's what the Celtics have done to me now. They've ruined my positivity and optimism at this point. But the thing that I think... I never thought I'd see the day. It's just tough. It's just tough to keep coming back and just have them keep playing not very good basketball. Like Be in the lead for the majority of that game and then it's like, oh... You mean there's eight minutes left to play? It's time to just not really uh, do anything on offense and then just let DeMar DeRozan cook. I, at the four-minute mark, I'm pretty sure I uh, said out loud, like, there is zero way they are winning this game. And then uh, I was happy to be proven wrong. But, um, yes, I've lost my positivity. I've lost my optimism. Um, And I think it's it's especially the case when Marcus Smart's not in the lineup. It's just not like a – cohesive and I would say fun basketball team to watch at this point. Like to have the double bigs and Dennis out there is just, it doesn't, there's no coherent strategy. There's no offensive flow. Like I think they're, they're going to muck games up. They're going to make it kind of hard for teams to score. It's just because I think the bigs do that, but I don't know without Marcus Smart on there, it just feels like it's even worse of a kind of execution, especially in the half court. Yeah. Yeah, it can get tough sometimes. <laughs> it, can, it can definitely get tough sometimes. Their their offense, just the way it looks sometimes, is just gross. 
Like you watch them and, and you wonder what they're doing. You wonder if they know what they're doing. You wonder you wonder about life itself, honestly. <laughs> You're just just sitting there like, what have I done? Why am I here? What 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 has led me on this path? Um so they need to get a lot better defensively. And like the the, the first quarter against Philadelphia was the best example of that. Uh, I think Philadelphia and Joel Embiid said it after the game. He said, you know, we played Charlotte the other night. They, these guys are easier to guard. <laughs> like, they just go ISO a lot and we can load up on them. And we know, we know wh- where the ball is going. Basically we, we know how much help we can apply. Like it's just easier. It's not, there aren't as many things, worries to guard uh if you're playing the Boston Celtics and so I think I think they they need a lot of offensive improvement I think they need some offensive improvement talent wise I think they need some offensive improvement maybe rotation wise um and and that's and then just decision making sometimes can can be pretty bad the consistency at least with the decision making is not there like you watched DeRozan for the first half of the fourth quarter, like was basically by himself, and and he was still out there, like making the right reads, making good plays, setting up everybody, and and the 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 Celtics don't always have that in them, um, is how I would put it. And DeRozan was like had seven assists and was like setting up guys to knock down threes. It's wild how I feel like every other team in the league has some random bench players who can come in and just uh, just light it up from deep. Like, I've never heard of A.O. Don Sumnu. Three for three from deep. He's a rookie out of Illinois. Where are our rookies who can knock down college three? basketball, bro. I don't watch college basketball. It's a le- inferior I mean, product. Rookies who can knock down three? Sam Hauser has had 31 in the G League. I have not seen him do it for the Boston Celtics. It's very different to do it in, in Maine versus... <laughs> For the Celtics, and there's just no one. Peyton Pritchard, I think he like kind of got the Celtics back into the game in the fourth quarter with his two threes, but I don't know where it's necessarily coming from on this roster just because the players who play uh, just, I guess Josh Richardson did it was well. Grant Williams did it well. They actually didn't shoot too bad from three. It's just, uh, we've seen it all year. They're just not good enough shooting. And it feels like they need to make changes. And um, luckily, Jay, you talked to the guy who, who's probably in charge of that, who probably uh, knows the it's roster better probably. than anyone. He is, he is in charge of that. <laughs> He's the president of the basketball operations, you would say? Yes, that that's that's what he is, Brad Stevens. So you got the opportunity to talk to Brad Stevens one-on-one. Uh, what did he have Story to say? Story out Monday morning on The Athletic. Or By the time most folks are listening to this, they will be able to read the story on The Athletic. For those folks hanging out in the Athletic live room right now, you're getting a sneak peek because that's the kind of stuff you get when you are an Athletic subscriber. But, Jay, what did Brad have to say? Did he ask about me? Yes, he, he asked about you. That was the first thing he did. <laughs> um, 
I said, I remember some dude wanted to interview me about Kaizen for 30 minutes. Yo, yeah, hey, hey, hey. Let's let's not say this. Brad knows my name. The one time I saw him in the arena this year, he said, Hey Sam. So um let's not let's not uh paint some falsehoods here. He said that little bitch Packer, how's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then what he said if Brad did say something like that. That would be I would enjoy and you, it. Um, and you and you got it on the record. Wow, that, that would make my day. If you had a recording of that. No, but uh, he talked, we had kind of a, a wide ranging interview. So he talked a lot about a lot of different stuff. Um, one thing he discussed was that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are good at basketball. Ooh, <laughs> and, bold and take. He would like, he, he, they are the type of guys to build around, is, is what he said. Um, so So that's one. He, was he just what, like completely dismissive of that idea of like ever getting giving up on those two at least at this moment? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he basically said, you know, when when you're around 500, the best players are going to take heat, and but he thinks that they are the right types of people, guys who are going to work hard and and continue working on their game. And that he's seen nothing different. And he said, especially in today's age of versatility, something like that. I'm, this isn't a direct quote um, that you want to build around guys like that. Um, he also said that they are, they still have to take, they still have to improve. And he said the the step from all-star to top 10 or 15 can be the most difficult step. And, and, basically imply that that's that's the step that those guys have to take where they go from being okay they can have 30 one night they can make great decisions one night they can have a triple double to they need to do it every single play down the court um that was what he implied at least don't, don't these are not direct quotes i don't have them right in front of me <laughs> these are not direct um, but, quotes from my one-on-one interview where well, i yeah. recorded it and transcribed it but um what did Brad he think? Stevens, like the main, he the main issue was his two best players. Um, he said one thing he brought up. I I asked him kind of about the supporting cast, what it needs, and he just talked about shooting. Like just <laughs> just <laughs> just went on a a, a long chat about shooting. <laughs> um, and how shooting is important. Did he did he say it was a make or miss league? He did not say it was a make or miss league. He said the Celtics. He doesn't believe they're as bad of a shooting team as they've shot, but he also thinks they need to get more shooting on the court. Um, and in that conversation, he brought up Peyton Pritchard, who he thinks is going to keep playing time even when they're fully healthy. So, that Interesting. Was a guard might be getting more playing time as they get more healthy. I feel like the difficulty with interviewing Brad, like when I interviewed him, talked about uh, – the growth mindset and he was all open and was like very willing to say anything. I feel like if you ask Brad about like, Oh, what are you going to do on the trade market? He plays it very close to the best and never wants to reveal anything. He gave me a great non-answer about <laughs> trade deadline stuff. And then I asked him specifically about Dennis Schroeder and he didn't even try to give me a non-answer. He just, <laughs> he's like, I don't want to get into specifics on certain guys, not certain guys on any guy. Uh, so I tried know that I tried. I asked about Dennis Schroeder. Um, 
Brad was <laughs> not forthcoming about his his ideas of whether to trade Schroeder or not at the deadline. But he did say that he thinks Peyton Pritchard is going to continue to to have extended playing time. Um, so who who knows if those two go together? I'm not here to say they do. I'm not here to say they don't. But that's what that's what my um, job is, and I'm here to say they absolutely go together. If if the listeners remember my original plan. Uh, to start the season was to have Peyton Pritchard playing well enough so Dennis was expendable at the trade deadline. Um, I don't know if Pritchard's playing well enough to do that, but I do definitely think that Dennis Schroeder is uh, expendable at this point because the Celtics uh, are the 11th best team in the Eastern Conference right now, and it doesn't make sense to keep him. Um, but, of course, Brad's not going not gonna to talk about specifics. Did you have anything else to say? Did you ask him about Ime being a hardo? Did you, uh, or <laughs> what else? Uh, what else happened? He's an Ime fan. Well, yeah, shocking. He hired Ime. <laughs> he hired Ime. He said he believes Ime is the right guy. Um, and and then big Robert Williams guy. Brad <laughs> Stevens. He had a lot of Robert Williams love. Um, he is very excited about the way Robert Williams has played lately, to to say the least. Which why wouldn't he be? Those were those were clutch free throws by Robert Williams, by the way. Absolutely, they. The, I mean, the Four first clutch couple free throws just barely rolled in, but he had Robert Williams has been playing uh, tremendously, pretty much. Uh, I think over the past six or seven games, maybe even longer than that. But putting up points, putting up blocks, putting getting rebounds. Uh, he's just been very, very good, and. I th- like that's still part of the frustrating thing is like Robert Williams has been very, very good. They still have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They have all this talent, but they're still a 500 basketball team. Now they're coming up on another five game stretch where they're playing pretty weak opponents. We got the Pelicans. I mean, I, it's going to be a real battle uh, on Wednesday against the Charlotte Hornets because it's the Hornets with their amazing offense coached by Nick Friedman and their terrible defense going up against the Celtics. Very good defense and horrible offense. It's just a battle of uh, two different styles. Um, But then after that, the Trailblazers, who are not good. Dame is out. The Wizards, who have not been playing as well. The Kings. The Hawks, who are like the only team in the Eastern Conference worse than the Celtics right now, or the only legitimate team. The Pelicans, again, like that is seven games where – I don't know if they're they're clearly not going to win all of them, but they should be at least favored. I like to win six out of those seven or five out of those seven. Like those are all very winnable games, and they had the similar stretch, and then they kind of coughed it up to the Spurs and the Knicks. It's like when is this team going to put it together? I like it feels like they're wasting like a real great month from Robert Williams. At the same time, they've won four of their last five games. Oh, you know, now he's the optimist. I'm just saying it doesn't feel like that because before that stretch was bad and the one loss in that stretch was bad and the even the win against Chicago was for like 41 or 42 minutes bad. So yeah, I don't I don't know what to think about this team. <laughs> I mean, I do. I do. I do. They're a very good defensive team. That needs to figure out how the hell to play offense. And until they figure out how the hell to play offense, then they're going to struggle. And they're going to struggle in close games. Uh, 
because they don't execute the way they should. And they're going to struggle in not close games <laughs> because, because it's tough to blow teams out when you can't score. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's another stretch, another chance for them to kind of establish a little bit of cushion between themselves and the 500 mark. They've been right around the 500 mark basically all season. Like they haven't had long losing streaks. They haven't had long winning streaks. They've just been vacillating between mediocre and mediocre. Some would call them an average basketball team or a a 500 team is their true identity. Um, I agree, but like, would it would it shock you if they had a, just like a dumb loss against the Pelicans tomorrow? And nope. then, like, nothing would shock you at this point. I don't think it's going to go like I don't think they're going to go zero like oh and seven over the next seven games. I don't think they're going to go seven and zero. Oh. It's like most likely they're going to go four and three or three and four. It's just they have a chance to kind of put these uh, players together or that like streak a couple wins together, but we just haven't seen them do this year. And it's like tough because I definitely like think for them to be their most effective, they need all their guys. And I do think this like Marcus Smart, I think he's gotten a lot of criticism because everyone's just kind of desperate to, you know, got to trade, got to trade someone, got to change the team around because they're a 500 team. But I think Marcus Smart has done a pretty good job when they've actually kind of let him be the true point guard. And I just think given what he gives you on defense, he's a very strong option, but He's going to be out for his third straight game, or maybe more than that, against the uh, Pelicans on Martin Luther King Day. It's just, it feels like watching that game on Saturday night, they had an already kind of poorly organized offense feel like, felt like it was like even worse. And I don't know how long they've, how many games have they had like their full roster? It's been like one or two. It hasn't been many. Yeah. And. But they're a lot closer now, and and once once Smart gets back, then you'll see the full rotation. The what do you want to see about the full rotation? Like I'm I'm still I'm interested to see what happens with Peyton Pritchard and Dennis Schroeder when everybody's available, because those guys have only played together for I think it's fewer than fifty minutes this whole season. They've Doka decided early on, like they just don't work together. They can't play together. So how do you use Pritchard? You have to get pretty creative if you're going to keep him in the rotation and Schroeder both playing significant minutes. So will Schroeder's minutes dwindle? Will that be the foreshadowing of a deal? Will Ennis Freedom continue to play minutes even though you could just play Al Horford or Robert Williams on the court? at all times for 48 minutes yeah do they ever go away from the two big lineup because it feels like that's the only reason Ennis gets any minutes at this point is like oh we've been playing these two centers for a while we might need a to give them a bit of a rest but you know what if you don't start Al Horford and you just kind of have him be a super sub um then you basically eliminate the need for Ennis I think that's another interesting thing is like how will the rotation shift we've saw a little bit of um, not closing with Dennis, I think kind of using Grant and Josh Richardson more towards the ends of games. I think obviously they're off. Like when they struggle for offense, you're going to want to have Robert Williams surrounded by 
four guys who presumably can shoot, but just four uh, perimeter players, maybe starting the game that way and kind of using Horford more um, in spot positions. Like uh, I think Horford talked about it after the Bulls game, but he's been really not good from three. And despite that all he gives you, I think on the defensive end and all of his uh, decision-making, he really loses value if he's not a stretch big. Like that was him hitting pick and pop threes is such a huge thing for the Celtics. And so if he transfers to more of just like the backup center role, I think there's a, it's just a possible tweak that I think they could use moving forward. Cause as good as the two kind of two big lineup is defensively, I just don't think it's helping them on the offensive end. So that's a possible switch that I think would look for once they get all their guys back. Yeah, it's interesting the double big thing because with certain lineups, it's it's looked great. Like the the starters that they actually want to use, who have only played twelve games together all season, which is pretty low, considering they've played forty four games as a team. That they have a net rating of seventeen point five. You know, you look at um, the lineup with Schroeder at point guard next to Brown and Tatum. Robert Williams and Al Horford, twenty-seven point eight net rating over forty-six minutes, but but still, like that's that's successful. And the defense during those minutes has been awesome. And I think the defense with Robert Williams and Al Horford on the court has been very dependable. But there are certain units, especially when it's tough to play those two guys together, and and that's when the the lineup it, things look squeezed. The offense looks ugly. And and you wonder, like, whether that too big lineup is right. I do think, like, as long as you have Tatum and Brown out there next to those guys, I think it's fine. Like, you, you can have a great defensive lineup. You can probably score enough. You can figure it out for six minutes at the beginning of each half. But anything more than that, and if it's smart, Schroeder, and the two bigs, like, no, <laughs> stay away. Don't, don't do it, you know? So... And I, I do think, like, to some extent, I I get why Udoka has stayed with the two-big lineup. Um, I get why. Because no matter what he does, I don't think this is going to be a great offensive team at all. But there are lineups he can put on the court that should be great defensively. And that's that's one duo that they're really freaking good defensively with those two guys on the court. And they it's been that way consistently all season. Do you think at any point they kind of go small? Like, how many minutes has Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown played at the four? I know it's like lineup stats are kind of – it's hard to figure out what exactly their position is. But it feels like they've gone with a lot of – if it's not the too big lineup, there's still a lot of, like, Grant getting those minutes or it's Grant and Al – I'm just curious, like what this team would look like with maybe Smart, Richardson, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and then either Rob Williams and Al Horford. Just because, I mean, Jason, like I think you you give up some size, but against some teams, Jason Tatum's still a very uh, large individual, and I feel like he's played more kind of four in the past, but it doesn't feel like something they've done as much of uh, at least this year. Yeah, I just looked up the stats for Jalen Brown. Um, the Celtics only twelve percent of his minutes, according to cleaning the glass, have come at power forward, and the Celtics have actually been really good during those minutes. Um, 
but obviously there haven't been a lot of those minutes. And also I think the risk of going small with this particular team and and roster and rotation is can you score enough because when you go small like there's pressure to score because you're probably not going to be as good defensively you're probably not going to be as good on the glass so there's more pressure to score and if you're not going to score a lot when you go small and if you're not going to shoot a lot of threes or shoot threes well then you lose some of the advantages of going small and so yeah, I don't know. But but Tatum Tatum according to cleaning the glass, 46 it says 46% of his minutes have come at power forward. So they're small during those times. Well, maybe my theory was completely correct, but or incorrect, but for some reason he, the, they might do it just by high. I don't know exactly how they do those honestly. So he might be listed at power forward when he plays next to Grant Williams. Yeah, and that like that's just I'm not, not sure how they do it. Because I feel like you wouldn't give up. I, like uh, there would be smaller, but Smart Richardson and the two Jays are like a pretty big and I think a, an aggressive kind of team that could put a lot of ball pressure in. It's just um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think we've really seen that happen. But at this point, Ime's got to be in adjustment mode because whatever he's tried the first forty-four games of the season has worked about fifty percent of the time. And I think they want better results than that. And they like, but that's why you have nothing to lose because either you, you make some changes, you try some stuff and the team starts playing better or you remain out of the playing game and out, like out of the playoffs. I, I think it's just like a kind of a, a time when you're, we've reached the point of the season where you just got to start throwing shit out against the wall. I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't start kind of making changes through with your lineups, with different players, with different matchups, just because they clearly have not found uh, any sort of consistency. And maybe I'm just panicking, and maybe it's just as simple as like don't turn the ball over and like uh, move a little bit more on offense, and they'll be fine. But it's just 44 games of this offense. Um, I don't know. I if I was the coach, and thank God I'm not, but I would be trying. Uh, wacky stuff all the time just to try to get them try to find something that works consistently wacky you would you would nick freeman be your top assistant absolutely now that he has a joel Embiid stamp of approval i think that uh in the subtext of that joel Embiid quote he said a nick freeman coach offense is incredibly difficult to defend um but a will hardy coached uh, offense is awful <laughs> Uh, did uh, Brad man. did Brad say anything else in your uh, long expansive one on one with him? Any anything, anything uh, of note? Yeah, I mean, he talked about a lot of different things. So I would read it. I would I would read it if <laughs> if I were a listener. Um, I would definitely want to want to read what what Brad told the kit. Nothing that uh, immediately comes to mind for this conversation, but tomorrow morning when it's on theathletic.com, uh, I'm sure it's going to be well formatted. Monday morning. Monday morning. Isn't tomorrow morning Monday morning? But if someone's listening to it on a Monday, they might think it's Tuesday. It's Monday morning. Monday morning. Martin Luther that's, King Day. That's you radio have, podcasting 101, Packard. If you're in the United States, you should have the day off. You should take the time, kick back, go to theathletic.com. 
Search for Jay King. You should ask, actually follow Jay King. That way, uh, all of his articles will come up in your feed. And read his one-on-one interview with Brad Stevens. And you'll, you'll probably learn something. Mostly, uh, from what I've gathered, is that Brad Stevens uh, probably – who do you think is a bigger Rob Williams fan? Brad Stevens or Chris Forsberg? Jason Tatum. Ooh. You threw in a wild card answer. I would have to agree with you. Since day one, Jason Tatum's been a big Robert Williams fan. Yeah, and then he's such a big Robert Williams fan that Robert Williams quote tweeted that <laughs> that quote, and it said facts. Like, like, yeah, like, yep, this guy is a huge fan of me. He, uh, Tatum, Tatum loves Robert Williams. He he loves playing with Robert Williams. He loves saying that he loves playing with Robert Williams. <laughs> so. I think Jason Tatum in in the group of Robert Williams fans, Jason Tatum is 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 up there. But but Brad, Brad is closing in <laughs> based on some of the stuff he told me. He is uh, a big Rob Williams guy. Well, if you want to hear more in depth quotes about why Brad loves Robert Williams and Brad's thoughts on the rest of the state of the Boston Celtics. Uh, go to theathletic.com, read that article from Jay King that will be released on Monday morning, Monday, January 17th, published at some point in the AM. And if you like that, if you like our conversation, subscribe to our podcast. If you're a subscriber to The Athletic, join us in one of these live rooms where if you wanted to, you could press your little raise hand button and uh, we'll be happy to have you on the show. Um, the audience is eerily quiet today because I think everyone's just run out of things to say about this Boston Celtics team. Oh, there we go. Tom S. Uh, is going to join us. Tom, what's going on? Nolan, lads, how we doing? Long time no see. You all right? <laughs> We're doing well, Tom. It's always great to hear from you. I love hearing yeah, Tom's yeah, felt, voice every, every podcast. Uh, I'm, just, uh, I'm just wondering, I was speaking to a uh, non-Boston Celtics fan, but an NBA fan uh, the other day during the uh, – the Bulls game well yesterday and I said uh, he said to me um, Brad Stevens if he was still the coach I think your record would be dramatically better and I said to him no I think it's more we're just a bit inconsistent I'm just wondering what your guys opinions are do you guys think if we had Brad it would be better or do you think uh, it's just a case of the shots not falling and the players going through a bit of a rough patch I, I that's a good question uh, I do think they'd probably be a little better with Brad as a coach just because he's been through it before but part of what's concerning about the Celtics is that they changed coaches they changed some of the supporting cast and still some of their problems are very similar like last year they were I believe 17 and 26 in games that had crunch time that were within five points with five or fewer minutes to go this year, they're very bad in those circumstances again. Um, so it's the execution. It's the ball movement. It's the player movement. All stuff that, that Brad used to be great at, or his teams used to be great at at doing, they didn't do last year. And they haven't done it this year, even though Ime Odoka came in from day one. That's all he's wanted was to for the, those guys to move the ball, for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to become better playmakers. And so that, that I think that's what's part of the um, concern is that even though Brad harped on it, even though Emay's harped on it, 
it hasn't changed or hasn't gotten significantly better on a consistent basis. So I don't know how much different they'd be with Brad. Uh, but, but I, I don't think they would be like drastically different just because of the coach. I, I think some of the issues are on the players and, and the players, I do think they're receptive to coaching based on what everybody says. They're receptive to coaching. They're self-aware. They understand where they need to improve. But at some point, like there needs to be more consistency. There needs to be more execution. There needs to be more ball movement and player movement on a regular basis. Yeah, I think Brad was always a kind of a defensive first coach and his teams were always great at defense. I mean, I think his offense was often criticized. I mean, Dave Dufour from The Athletic would always call him basic Brad. I do think he'd be a little bit better just based on experience. And like on paper, the roster this year is just so much better than his roster last year. So I feel like he probably could have made some improvements. Like there was a lot of Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson and Shemi Ojale last year. Like I do think the supporting cast is just demonstrably better in terms of talent. It hasn't necessarily translated. And I think maybe Brad could have uh, done that, but it's not like Brad was an offensive guru. Uh, he certainly was no Nick Friedman out there. <laughs> uh, he go. was no Nick Friedman. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're going to go to Zachary S. Zachary, how's it going? Zachary. Zachariah. Sorry, I had to Zachary. Um yeah, so I'm interested in, in your guys' thoughts on it seems like the, the defense has gotten to a pretty high level right now. We're fifth in the league in efficiency. But with the offense, you know, even we have even though we have a few high level um, shot creators, it seems like we just struggle to create open looks, get easy shots at the rim or open corner threes. And I'm wondering how much of that you think is due to some, you know, lack of high level playmaking. So just Tatum and Brown not having the ability to get up to five, six assists per game and consistently make, you know, skip passes um, and just find, you know, thread those needles in the pick and roll versus the fact that we don't have great shooters this year. So the spacing is a little bit compressed. So it's, it's a little tougher to penetrate into the teeth of the defense versus, you know, we don't run a lot of set plays in the half court so we're not getting a lot of player movement a lot of backdoor cutting a lot of screening action so there's just not that many diversions and opportunities to create advantages it's a good question yeah, that, 
that was a good, good diagram of all all that's wrong. <laughs> I, I I think it all matters. Um, you know, a, a lot of the issues the Celtics have had wouldn't be nearly as severe if they just had three more knockdown shooters or two more knockdown shooters or even one more knockdown shooter would make a, a big difference. Um, that said, like if if you had the exact same roster and you put, let's say, Chris Paul, just random, <laughs> very if good you put point the guard. best point guard of all time on this team, they might uh, get some assists. No, but I, I'm just, I'm just. There is nobody on this team who can really consistently break down a defense and then find an open guy on time, on target, every time. Like, I think Tatum's b- getting much better at it. Um, I think Marcus Smart can run a pick and roll, but there is a a wide gap between being good at running a pick and roll and being an artist and the Celtics have no artists. They, they have no artists. So I think that matters. And then, um, the, the lack of offensive movement, especially given the Celtics other problems, but like some of the lack of movement is they just don't have shooting. Like it's, it's a lot easier to guard a team. Like doesn't matter how much Dennis Schroeder moves nobody's going to be guarding him at the three-point arc. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. And and so you can you can put him in action, you can you can have him moving all around the place. But teams aren't going to fly to close out to him. They're not going to overreact when Dennis Schroeder gets the ball. Um so I, I think it it all works together and and everything would be a lot easier with another shooter, another high level passer, or or more than that. Um, but it, it all fits hand in hand, I think. Yeah. I mean, they really don't have a lot of, uh, off ball movement, but you're right. It's the shooting and like, you just would watch teams and you can see the screenshots just like load up on Jason Tatum. And it's very hard for him to kind of create plays when there's four guys in front of him. So I think that affects just the Celtics ability to get to the rim. It affects like, like they're not really putting teams in rotation because, when they do kind of swing it to like people, it's like not like people are necessarily have to close out hard. I do th- I think it affects the all of the offense. I also think that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, like they do need to improve a little bit just in terms of uh, turnovers. But I can imagine it's like pretty difficult to kind of like create a lot of plays when uh, you have no way to get to the bucket and you have a bunch of guys in your face because they're not paying attention to any of your teammates. So I agree with you that there's just like some things that uh, ball movement or off ball movement would, it's, it's not going to help if it's just like swinging and it's coming to guys you can't really shoot. So um, I'm not sure exactly uh, what the answer is other than trading Dennis Schroeder. And so um, <laughs> maybe if they do that, uh, they can uh, figure some things out, but, I would like to see the ball in Marcus Smart's hand more when they um, come out or when he comes back. But because I do think he's the kind of the best playmaker and the best in terms of just getting the ball into the paint and like trying to make a play that way. I do think that he attacks more than it feels like. I feel like Marcus Smart attacks the paint looking to pass in a way that Jalen and Jason do not. And I think that they could kind of 
just probe the defense more that way. But at the end of the day, like it's been all season, I think it comes down to the shooting. Do you know what I – one thing I, I think has – it hasn't really been discussed um, and and would help the Celtics a significant amount. I don't know how significant, but I just feel like, like Jason Tatum needs to get better and more willing as a catch and shoot three point shooter. Like how often does he catch and he's pretty open or very open. And instead of just taking the, the quick three wide open three or pretty open three, he waits a beat and either goes into a dribble move or waits a beat, calls over a screen, waits a beat, goes into an ISO. Like, just take advantage of the easy opportunities. Um, and so I, I, I do feel like like that could help too. And that's just one of the ways that he and he and Jalen could Im- improve. Um, and I the weaknesses of the rest of the roster wouldn't matter as much if those guys had no weaknesses themselves, but they do. And so the Celtics need to do a better job of, of, of finding the right parts around them, especially offensively passers, shooters, more of them, everything, all of the above. It was a, it was a great question by Zachary because he's like, what are all of the issues? And he just listed everything that the Celtics are bad at on offense. And I think the ultimate answer is all of the above. Absolutely uh, everything. And they turn that bitch over a lot sometimes. (laughs) Especially in that 76ers game, it was uh, pretty much all they did. Uh, I feel like like most of the time turnovers aren't that big an issue for them. But when they are an issue, it's like constant, constant, constant turnover, 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 if that makes sense. Yeah, they let it snowball very, very quickly. Yeah. Like what they just throw and Schroeder, Schroeder throws one of one of the strangest passes, just about once per game. Just has no prayer of of making it to his teammate, pretty regularly. You know who doesn't do that? Peyton Pritchard, who is going to be getting more playing time uh, over the next couple of games. So said Brad Stevens in your one-on-one conversation with him. Yes, Brad does believe that Peyton Pritchard will continue playing significant minutes, even when they get fully healthy. Fantastic. Well, again, I have not prepared a way to get us out of this podcast, so I'm going to take this opportunity <laughs> to... What would Nick Friedman do? Nick Friedman would uh, .5 decision-making. He wouldn't think. It's just .5 basketball. You just uh, just go and run. Um, so I'm going to take the opportunity to promote the Trill Withers Show, another podcast that I'm on with Trill Withers, is starting a new YouTube show live. It's going to be live from 12 to 3 every day on the YouTubes. I'm going to be on it on Mondays and Fridays, and we're making our debut on Monday. So if you want to hear uh, me probably get shit on for being a Celtics fan and a Pats fan, uh, you can do that uh, tomorrow at 12, right after you're done reading Jay's article on The Athletic. And while you're watching the Celtics game, which is very early in the day, Yes, and we got basketball all day tomorrow or on Monday. Sorry, Jay. Thank you for correcting that before. And well done, we'll, sir. You're a quick learner. I'm a quick learner. That's because I've grown up around uh, Nick Freeman my entire life, and he taught me to make <laughs> .5 decisions. And will the Celtics beat the uh, New Orleans Pelicans on twelve thirty game? I'm gonna guess yes. And I think it's possible. 
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.